Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. It wasn't like a callback. Hey, I, I just want you to know that God works miracles still today. The Cowboys are undefeated. For those of you who are joining online, so glad you're joining us. If you don't mind putting in the chat what you think the Cowboys record at the end of the year is going to be. That'd be great. Just put it in the, put it in the chat. Careful now. Careful now. Careful now. Man, before we get any further, it is good to see you. I'm glad to see you, but I am bummed. I am bummed this morning. I'm just kind of bummed. Um, I'm bummed because of, um, well, something I mentioned several months ago. Uh, there's, a, there's a tree that sits in front of our house. I told you this tree has been going through a process of dying. And um, this last week, so if you, don't, if you don't remember, I mentioned this probably, I don't know, it was right about two months ago. Um, it's an ash tree. And um, I had just noticed one day as I was laying in the hammock, because my lamic, hammock lays right in the shadow underneath this tree. And I was looking up at it one day, and I noticed that, that there were sections of the tree that were not leafing out this year. And I was, I was bummed about that. I'm like, oh, man, what's going on? I think this tree isn't doing too hot. And so I started looking around. Here's a, here's a picture of the tree. Um, but with my dad's help and doing some research, I zeroed in on the cause, the cause the tree in the middle is the tree. This tree is important to me because not only does my hammock sit underneath it, but it provides shade to the um, you know, west face of the house for that west sun in the afternoon. So it is an important tree. Um, but as part of the research, I, I discovered the cause was most likely what's known as the emerald ash borer. If you don't know what the emerald ash borer is, it is um, native to... China and Mongolia and North Korea, and somewhere along the line, as part of something being shipped over to the United States, came in crates or pallets or something in the wood, um, uh, came into the United States, has no natural predators here, uh, and so as a result, uh, has just started laying waste throughout the United States to ash trees uh, in general. And it came to Greene County somewhere between five and seven years ago. Um, and so discovered that that was probably what was going on with my tree. And so um, was super bummed and decided I was going to do everything I could to try to save it. Some people think that within the next 10 years, there won't be any ash trees left. Like, that's how invasive this thing is. If you drive around Greene County, I see them all the time now, trees that are in this process of dying. And they all look about the same. There's this dieback that happens where there's life in an area, and it seems like everything's good, and then one area is dead. 
And then there's another area that's dead after a while, and then there's another area, and it begins to spread. What was life now becomes death. And so I decided I was going to try to save this. So Joshua Ajayi and I um, went to, because somebody had told me, hey, if you can attract woodpeckers, you might be able to give your tree a shot that those woodpeckers will get in there and get the emerald ash borers. And so I went and I got a bunch of uh, woodpecker feeders and we hung them from the tree. And I had done some additional research and I had heard that if you put peanut butter on the outside of the tree, that will also attract woodpeckers. And so I got a big can, I'm not kidding, I got a big can of, of peanut butter and I smeared it all up and down the side of this tree. Uh, Joshua Jai's like, and I don't know, okay, sure, this is going to work. It's going to be great. And so we're, I'm smearing, and then I brought out two arborists. Looking back on it, I wish I had done it in a different order because those arborists look at me like super weird when they walk up to the tree and there's peanut butter smeared all along the house. They look at the tree, and then they looked at me, they look back at the tree, back at me, and I'm like, it's to attract woodpeckers. And they said, okay. <laughs> So, but the arborist told me, hey, it's probably, it's probably emerald ash borers and, and there's really one shot you've got. All you need to do, or they said, you've got a shot and it may work and it may not. You will have to put injections around this tree at the cost of $1,200 and cut back some branches and stuff. And he, he, both of them said, you're going to have to do that once a year. And so I'm thinking about that and I'm like, 1200 bucks. I mean, I love this tree. Man, but 1200 bucks that's just too much. And so I smeared some more peanut butter on it. <laughs> and I started seeing woodpeckers in the tree, and so I had hope. Um, but then this week, I, I looked up at it again, and I could tell that those areas of death had kind of started spreading even further. Some of those areas that were lush um, had, had spread and, and died as well. And so this is the tree this week, and... I realize the time has come, and this week is the week that I'm going to cut this tree down. Yeah. It's a bummer for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is this tree is older than I am. I was watching videos of when the house was being built in 1992, and this tree was big, substantial then. So this tree is older than me and has provided life to that property and to that space and shade to that house for a long time. And so I'm sad that this tree has to go. Um, and I think probably what is, there's part of the bummer of it is that it's dying on my watch, you know? Like, like this tree is older than me, but it's on my watch that this tree will no longer provide that shade for this home. So I'm bummed because of that. But why I'm most bummed is I think it's my fault. So apparently, one of the ways that emerald ash borers move is through firewood. And several years back, I think I had a load of, couple of loads of firewood delivered. And probably that's how the emerald ash borer came to my property. I killed the tree. Those emerald ash borers bore in underneath the skin and begin to eat the tree from the inside out until it dies. So, that's why I'm bummed. Now that you're bummed too, I'm going to give you today's uh, title of the message, The Next Generation. 
the next generation. If you're new to praise, I'm the pastor. Um, I'm not normally this depressed. Uh, in fact, I've really enjoyed this series, The Holy Spirit. Um, we've just been reading through how the Holy Spirit has moved through the generations in the past. And I do want to mention before we go any further that out at the praise.fyi desk is a book called The Deity and Ministry of the Holy Spirit by Dr. Philip Sharp. Um, the Praise has already paid for these books, and there's about 15 of them out there. If you want one, you can have it. If you want to know more about how the Holy Spirit has moved and is moving, um, you could check this book out for free. You can go get one, um, have it uh, at praise.fyi desk. Just stop by there and grab uh, one of those books. But we've just been reading how the Holy Spirit has moved in the eras in the past because we believe that the Holy Spirit moves today. We believe that he is still today in unique and special ways, and maybe more so than even in, 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 in previous years, has opportunities to move. And so we're rethinking the spirit of our age, and the way we're doing that is just reading how the Holy Spirit has moved. So far, what we've covered, I can't cover all of it, but essentially that the Holy Spirit is deeply inside of every single one of us because the Holy Spirit was breathed into us by God. Okay, so deeper than our DNA, we are encoded by the Holy Spirit, and that works its way outward in our intelligence, our ability to think. It works its way in all of these. If you want to go back and see the sermons, do it. Praise.fyi. You can find uh, links to all of that. But um, you can also see it in our creative ability. You can see it in those gifts that we have that are reflective of God, that that's the natural ways in which we see the Holy Spirit at work in all of humanity. Last week, we talked about Numbers 11, where... Uh, uh, Moses uh, prays over and the, or the Holy Spirit is given to 70 plus and it says as a result they begin to prophesy. So you see these additional giftings that come along uh, with the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to read the handing off of leadership from Moses to Joshua. So we've just been reading every occasion that the Holy Spirit shows up. That, last week was the last time we're going to be able to get them all. Today we're going to cover a lot of ground because we have to get to um, some important stuff. But this is the moment where uh, Moses hands off leadership to Joshua. It's a super cool moment. Joshua had really served with Moses and had been learning at Moses' side. Uh, he was one of those 70 that the Holy Spirit um, uh, filled. And uh, that same day, remember, the dads started prophesying in town. And um, uh, Joshua says, hey, stop them. And Moses says, man, I wish everybody would prophesy. I wish everybody had the Holy Spirit. That's where we were last week. Okay, so we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, this is that handoff of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Actually, before we do that, God tells Moses, hey, you're going to die. It's time for you to kick the bucket. Time for you to hand some things off. And so Moses then prays. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, uh, Numbers 27, verse 15, you are the God who gives breath to all the creatures. Okay, you give breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. He says, man, if you're going to take me, fine, give them somebody else. Give them a shepherd. Give them someone to lead them during this, what will be obviously a tough time. So the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him so that the whole community of Israel, so that the whole community of Israel will obey him. When the direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar the priest 
who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. So first, this says that the Holy Spirit's already in Joshua. Okay, so God says, okay, the Spirit's in Joshua, so take him. Now lay your hands on him. Put him in that position of leadership. Let everybody see what's going on so that they know this is the guy to follow now. Okay, but then he says this. When Joshua needs to know what to do or how to move or has a decision to make, his, he will go to the priest, Eleazar, and Eleazar will take the Urim and the Thummim, and he will cast lots before the Lord. And that's how Joshua will know what God is telling him to do. That's how he's going to know which direction to take. Verse 22. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eleazar the priest and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. So this is the thing that happens a lot in Scripture. The Holy Spirit shows up uniquely at moments of leadership transition. So it happens here with Moses going to Joshua. And then it also happens in some ways a different way, but with Saul to David, there's like this transfer of the Holy Spirit, okay? And then there's another occasion where it's Elijah to Elisha. This whole idea of one having the Holy Spirit and being transferred to the person who is following after them is something that is a repeated thing in Scripture, that uniquely the Holy Spirit seems to show up at moments of leadership transition. In fact, real quick, and this isn't like... You don't need to remember this, but if there was a test at the end of this series, here's something that you would want to know, okay? There's not a test. We don't do that. This isn't that kind of church. But if there was a test, this would be one of the things you need to know. There are really five eras in the Old Testament of the, the Holy Spirit moving in unique and distinct ways. And he moves in that time. And then sometimes there's like a 200-year period where he's not moving or he's not mentioned at least. And then he shows up again, and he starts moving in a unique way. And then he's like disappears from the story for a little bit, and then he shows up again. There's really five different eras. One is the, the founding of Israel, what we're talking about right here, Moses and Joshua, this, this moment when they're in the wilderness. There's the time of the judges, where you see multiple people, it says, are filled with the Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit move upon them. Three, the founding of the monarchy. So Saul and David, there's this unique kind of thing that happens with the Holy Spirit anointing them for that position. And then there's the period of Elijah and Elisha. And then finally, there's the period of the exile and the return. Okay, so you don't need to know that. But if you are interested in it, there's a book that is linked on praise.fyi under the message notes that I would encourage you to get. It is super good. If you want to read deeply in how the Holy Spirit has moved through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, I encourage you to pick it up. It's linked there. You can find it. I'm not going to say more about it. But a big part of what the Holy Spirit did in, in kind of history was really confirm and affirm who God's chosen leaders are. That when there was a question, that the Holy Spirit would show up in a unique way and make it obvious. Even when Saul became king, when the first king in Israel, he was commissioned in a unique way, and he begins to prophesy. And Samuel says the reason why that happens is so that Saul will know, and everybody else will know, 
Saul's the guy, okay? So, so the Holy Spirit shows up in a lot of those ways. And at this moment, it says Moses lays his hand on Joshua and commissions him. Now I'm going to flip to the end of Deuteronomy for when Moses dies. We're going to be covering a lot of ground here today because I really want to get to the New Testament at some point. Okay, so, so we got to get there. And so I'm going to be covering a pretty good amount of ground. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 34 this is when Moses dies. He's already commissioned Joshua. Deuteronomy is mostly, or a lot of it is, one big speech or a couple of big speeches by Moses, okay? So this is now finally, Moses is finally dying, right? He's like, I'm dead. I'm still alive. I mean, so here's, okay, Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then it says, there was never, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. God moved uniquely. His Holy Spirit spoke to Moses uniquely. He's not the first prophet. It actually says Abraham was a prophet. We don't know exactly what that means, but it does say at one point that Abraham was a prophet. But Moses is considered the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament, okay? And it says here that never again does the Holy Spirit speak to someone like he spoke to Moses. And yet, when the Spirit comes on Joshua, now it says that Joshua has a spirit of wisdom. But the Spirit moving for Joshua is different than the spirit moved in Moses. Even verse 11, it continues talking about Moses. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. Okay, so Joshua, even as leader, even as anointed by the Holy Spirit person, does not move and do the same things that Moses did. When Moses had a question, he goes and he asks God, and God, it said, spoke to him as if he was face-to-face. It wasn't, but it was like that. He could hear God speaking to him in that way. Joshua doesn't have that. Now Joshua wants to know, what should we do here, left or right? He has to go to Eleazar the priest and ask, hey, Eleazar, do you mind throwing the umen out? And, uh, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out whether we should go left or right. It's a different type of a situation. But Joshua leads the people, it says, with a spirit of wisdom, that intelligence. He's got the spirit of wisdom, and he says some really cool stuff like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And that's how he leads. Super cool. But then he dies. I know, this is super bummer of a service, okay? But Joshua dies. And in fact, I don't want to read about Joshua today. I want to read about what happens after Joshua. In Judges chapter 3, or 2, verse 6. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. This is primarily where we're going to be today, okay? Judges chapter 2, verse 6. After, now remember, Moses hands off the spirit, or that's not the right way to say it, but he hands off leadership. The Holy Spirit comes on Joshua in a different way. Now Joshua leads, they take the land, they go in, that's, Then here's what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 6. After Joshua sent the people away, so this is after they had done the stuff they were supposed to do, 
each of the tribes left to take the possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So Joshua serves the Lord. Everybody who is leading along with Joshua, as long as they're living, things are moving the right direction. They are reminding people. They are holding steady. God had influenced that generation, but eventually that generation is gone. And this is the story of Judges. As soon as they're gone, chapter 3, I'm going to skip down to verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned or with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Kushan Rishathayim of Aram Naharayim. And the Israelites served Kushan Rishathayim for eight years. We have literally no idea who this guy is. Kushan Rishathayim is someone that we have no other evidence of who the guy is. And probably that's not even his real name because his name essentially means Kushan. Rishathayim means double evil. So probably it's a play on whatever his real name was to the people of Israel. Because most parents don't name their child double evil. Okay, so, so probably that's not his real name, but that's how he's known in Israel. Okay, so we don't know who this guy is, but we do know where he's from. It says he is from Arayim. Aram Naharayim, which means Aram of the two rivers, or between the two rivers, which is the Syria between the two rivers. The two rivers are probably the Tigris and the Euphrates, which means this guy is probably the king of Assyria. Why is that important? Because all through Judges, there will be a series of bad guys, and they come from all over. But if this guy is the king of Assyria, he's the worst of the worst. They are the greatest power of that day. And the other kings that they face are kind of small time compared to Kushan Rishathayim. So if this guy is the king of Assyria, what we are saying is right off the bat, as soon as they start judges, they start with the baddest baddie of them all. Okay, so whereas Marvel led up to Thanos, <laughs> Judges starts with Thanos, right? And then you get like successively other kind of weak guys, okay? This guy is the worst of the worst. And no sooner has Joshua died and all the other leaders too, that the people just turn away from God. And immediately, as soon as they've moved into the land, the baddest baddie shows up and oppresses them. Verse 9. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. So God raises up a rescuer to rescue them, a rescuer to save them. The literal, he raised up a Messiah to Jesus them. He raises up a Mashiach to Yeshua them. His name is Othniel. Now, Othniel has a backstory. 
I want to read you Othniel's backstory. It's in Judges chapter 1. We're just going to back up a couple chapters. Here is Othniel's backstory, Judges chapter 1, verse 10. Judah marched against the Canaanites in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, defeating the forces of Shishai, Ahiman, and Telmai. From there, they went to fight against the people living in the town of Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So Aksa became Othniel's wife. Women are a powerful motivator. <laughs> Read through scripture. Moses heads out of Egypt. He's walking to a well. He sees some shepherds kind of oppressing some ladies. He's like, hey, ladies. And he drives the shepherds off, and he marries one of them. Jacob is looking for, well, he's heading away from home. He heads off. He shows up at another well. And there's some women there who are unable to get to the water inside the well. So what does Joshua do? He rolls up his sleeves, shows off his biceps, picks up the rock, flexes the entire time, and drops it in the ground. And he marries one of them. And not only that, he worked for seven years, and not one of those days was work because of Rachel. Women are powerful motivators. And Othniel here has the possibility of a lady. And for him... He's like, I am going to take Kiriath Sefer. And so he does. Story continues, verse 14. When Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What's the matter? She said, Let me have another gift. You've already given me the land in the Negev. Now give me the springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and the lower springs. So he gets the lady. He gets the land, and he gets the lush springs too. This is going well for Othniel, right? Back to Judges chapter 3, verse 8. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathayim of Aram Naharayim. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathayim for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. And his name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to go at war against King Cushan Rishathayim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. He becomes the first of the judges. He's not the only one that it says the Holy Spirit comes upon. In fact, it says that of Othniel, and then it says that of Gideon, and then Jephthah, and then it says it of Samson as well. And for all of them, in their own unique ways, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they aren't given supernatural intelligence, or at least that's not what it says. They aren't given um, prophetic, at least that's not what it says. Instead, they are given the ability to make war. They become warriors by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Gideon, who is not really a warrior, becomes a warrior. Jephthah, who has his theology all wrong, still is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Samson, you don't even know where to begin there, right? But the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and in his own way, I mean, like, at one point, he's carrying, like, you want to talk about 
strength because of women and, or against women. I don't know. But this dude's like carrying big gates up hills and, I mean, just huge amounts of the Holy Spirit comes upon him and, and then God gives victory as a result. So here God gives the victory. It says he raises up a rescuer to save them named Othniel. And it says, verse 11, so there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So Othniel reigns as judge for 40 years, which is as long as David was king. And all we got is like one paragraph about this guy. There is so much I wish I knew. Like, it says Kushan Rishathayim came and oppressed them for eight years. But for eight years, Othniel didn't respond. For eight years, Othniel didn't gather together and fight back. And I'm like, what happened? Did something happen to Axa? Did Kushan Rishathayim take Axa? And then Othniel's like, calling him up. I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> you know? Like, I wonder what, what pushed Othniel to that point. We know what's happening in the heavenlies. People are crying out, and as that happens, the Holy Spirit comes upon Othniel. We don't know what drove him to it. We don't know what the start of it was. We do know that that happened. And there's so many questions I have about this, and Othniel, in these 40 years, and what that was like, and we don't have any of those answers. And I have a ton of questions. I better just zero in on one. Why didn't Joshua name a successor? Moses lays his hands on Joshua. Holy Spirit comes upon him. But when Joshua dies... There is no leader named after him. And there's lots of reasons that could be the reason why. The people had fractured. They were ready to spread out, take the land, to each have their own spot. They became more tribal. Um, they were just kind of done maybe with a centralized leadership. And certainly during the book of Judges, you see there is not much centralized leadership. But Joshua, like it seems, didn't even try to find someone to take over after him. He just kind of lets it go. And maybe God didn't want him to name somebody as leader over the people of Israel after he was gone. We don't know. We aren't told that. It's possible. It's certain that God did not want Joshua's son to take over. In fact, all through the book of Judges, there's a clear indication that the Holy Spirit is not hereditary. Very clearly, all through the book of Judges, the, the writer is going to pains to show that just because one person had it, the next kid does not. Just the opposite. It seems like the kids, man, they are always all over the map. I mean, I'm just saying, all through Judges, you see this indicated. The Holy Spirit is not hereditary. In fact, what's really interesting, I'm not making a theology out of this, you want to know one of the times when the Holy Spirit is silent, it seems? During the Davidic monarchy. When leadership passed from father to son to father to son, father to son. 
There's no, the Holy Spirit indicates this is the one. There's stability in the land, at least in Judah, for the most part. And it seems like the Holy Spirit is just not a part of the conversation. Not like when the monarchy passed from Saul to David, clearly indicated by the Holy Spirit. During David's family on the throne, the Holy Spirit kind of pulls back and you don't see him, at least not in the story. I'm not making a theology out of it, I'm just saying it's interesting. The Holy Spirit isn't hereditary. Okay, so I got a couple of things I want to pull from this. Number one, number one, there is no need to fear for the next generation. There is no need to fear for the next generation. I am not sure why Joshua did not appoint a leader. I, I don't know if it was God not wanting him to or if he just fell down on the job. And you can see the turn happen really quickly. Like things get ugly real fast. They start worshiping Baal and Asherah, which they will struggle against all the way through the exile. Baal and Asherah, by the way, are the gods of like sex, money, and power. I'm good, glad that we got over that. Um, <laughs> But really quick, you see this baddest of the baddies, double evil Dave, shows up. And it's like, can it get any worse than this? But then it says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, and the spirit of the Lord came upon them. Let's say we screw this thing up. Let's say you're the worst parent possible. Let's say I'm the worst pastor possible. Let's say all this stuff falls apart. Let's say it ends with us, or at least it seems to. Let's say somewhere along the line, we fall down on the job, we fail at it all, and we screw everything up. Even still, the Holy Spirit will raise up who he wants to raise up. There is no need to fear for the next generation. Because if we mess everything up, the Holy Spirit will still do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit didn't need Moses' hands to fill Joshua, and he didn't need Joshua's hands to fill Othniel. Obviously, I wish he would have. Like, I wish Joshua would have prayed over him and set things up to begin with. Who knows how things would have been different. But he didn't. And it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit was going to do. So do not fear for the next generation. Number two, in faith, move toward the next generation. Not with fear, but with faith. Maturity is movement. We've said this over and over and over again. Paul says this. He says, let those who are mature think this way. Continue to press on into Jesus Christ. And then as you move toward Jesus Christ, you are also moving with Jesus Christ. I will always ask more of those who are more mature in their faith to move towards those who are less mature in their faith. This is the biblical pattern that I see. And so in faith, move toward the next generation. I believe our greatest calling as a church is to the next generation. That's why we call our kids and our youth ministries next-gen ministries, next-generation ministries, because I believe that this is our greatest calling. And that's why our Sunday night services are our next-gen services. And I, I will say something that 
I've wanted to say for some time, and I don't know that I could say it right, and I might not say it right now. I will say this. I believe during every next-gen services, everyone in the church should be doing one of two things, 6 p.m. on a Sunday night. One, serving. Serving the next generation. Or two, praying for the next generation. And I'm not saying you have to pray all the way through the service, but what difference would it make in the service if the entire church was gathered during that time and praying? I'm praying in your homes, praying wherever you are, interceding for that next generation to have a move of the Holy Spirit in their service. How big of a difference would that make to the next generation? That's what I believe every one of us should do. And so every small group that's on Sunday night at 6 p.m., I think it would be great if you would start off your service by praying over the next generation services that are happening at Praise Assembly at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights. I believe that we ought to be more like Moses than Joshua. We have the ability to speak life and to call new things into existence inside of the next generation. And I believe God has called us to do that well. Okay? Wow. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so one, uh, do not fear for the next generation. There is no need to fear. Two, in faith, move towards the next generation. Three, I need to set this up a little more. Othniel was the first judge. He had no pattern to follow. He had no judge that went before him to say, this is how you judge. All he had was the Holy Spirit. Now, it says he does set a pattern, and you find that pattern followed from then on. It's in Judges chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what it says happens. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So while the judge was living, everybody kind of kept from their worst inclinations. But as soon as the judge died, as soon as the judge was removed, until God raised up another judge, everybody kind of swung back the other direction. There was no one to restrain them. Can I share with you my least favorite verse in the whole Bible? I will just flat out say, I hate this verse. I've hated it for a while. Normally, once a Sunday, I'll tell you, here, let me tell you my favorite verse in the Bible, and it's a different verse every week. But this one, I will always say, is my least favorite verse in the whole Bible. I'm going to read it from the ESV. And there's a reason, because I like it too much in the New Living Translation. I don't like it in the ESV. Here's what it says. 1 Samuel 9, 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. He it is who will restrain my people. In the New Living Translation, it says, he it is who will rule my people. That's the one who's going to rule my people. Here's why I hate this verse. Because that verse says that leadership is inherently restraining people, which really stinks. And it's true. What is leadership but saying, 
we are going this way. Well, anytime you say we are going this way, you are also saying we are not going that way, and we are not going that way, and we are not going that way. And those ways may be fine, but leadership is saying we are not going those ways. We are going this way together. Inherently, leadership includes restraining people, keeping people from going the ways they want to go. That's why I hate this verse. It is the least enjoyable part of leadership to tell people, no, no. I know you want to, but no, because I'm saying that way. It stinks. This is like the part that I really don't like. Nope. I know you want to, but nope. Not that way. Not that way. Not that way. We're going that way. Restraining, holding back, is a part of leadership. Now, I want to show you one more verse. And this is the verse I'm going to wrap it up with. So don't worry if you're wondering. This is the last verse or last passage I'm going to read to you. Okay? This is much later. This is... Paul talking to one of the churches that is confused about whether or not Jesus Christ has come back already. And um, the reason why they think Jesus may have come back already is because either somebody brought a fake letter from Paul saying Jesus has come back and you missed it, or... People have started prophesying. It's not entirely clear, but some are saying, oh, Jesus already came back, and that's their prophetic word, okay? And so Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't need to worry about all that, and here's why. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed, he here, talking about the baddest baddie of them all, the Antichrist. Okay, he says, he cannot be revealed only, or he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Amen. What is this saying? This is saying that there will come a day when there will be the way better than Kushan Rishathayim. But he says, don't worry about that because something, he says one time it's something, and then the second time he says it's someone is restraining that evil, holding that evil back. Theologians have come up with three different possibilities for what this is that is holding back evil. One, Chuck Norris. <laughs> it's one possibility. This is what the theologians say. Okay, so... Two, Rick Astley. It's the other possibility. <laughs> now, people are pretty much 
sure of who this is talking about. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. That in some way, and I don't fully understand it, but in some way, as you look around at the world around you, that the Holy Spirit is keeping evil at bay. Okay? So as you wonder, what is the Holy Spirit doing? This is one of those things. And how, I don't fully know, but I do know how he has done it in the past. How he has done it in the past is through his people. Othniel presses back against the double evil one. Saul, defined as or going to be king, he it is who will restrain, hold back my people. How is the Holy Spirit keeping evil back today? I don't know all the ways. I do know one. Through his people. Through his church. And what this passage says is that there will come a day when the church is removed, when the Holy Spirit is no longer there. And on that day, the lawless one will press forward. But until the Holy Spirit is gone, he will be held at bay by him. So that brings me to number three. That is this. The Holy Spirit will continue his work until the end. As you look forward to what is to come, and I know the most natural thing to do in your own heart is to fear. To fear for your children. To fear to those, for those who are coming after you. I will tell you right now that the Holy Spirit, even if we screw everything up, even if you screwed everything up as a parent, even if you wonder, did I mess it all up? The Holy Spirit is still at work. And one of the ways that is happening is by his people spreading the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, you reaching your circles, the Holy Spirit is keeping evil at bay. In fact, the kingdom of God is advancing and the kingdom of darkness is falling back. And the Holy Spirit will keep doing that until the very end. So, today, as you look towards the future, as you worry about your own kids, let me just say, do not fear. Now in faith, press into the next generation. Call out of them those things that do not exist. Speak life where there has been death. But even if on your watch, everything falls apart, it does not matter. The Holy Spirit will continue to raise up. The Holy Spirit will continue to hold at bay and the Holy Spirit will continue to work until that day when Jesus Christ comes back or until that day when the church is removed, when the spirit is removed and then all hell will break loose. But guess what will happen next? Jesus Christ will slay the lawless one with the word of his mouth. This is the promise, right? Like this is what the Holy Spirit has promised to us. Now, another one of the ways that the Holy Spirit does that is by convicting of sin. And this is the part we don't like. Like, 
We don't like hearing of those areas inside of us that are deaf. Right? Like, we don't like being convicted of it. But that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And this is one of the ways that he is holding sin at bay and evil at bay in this world. And very clearly, this is what the Holy Spirit does. And I believe there are some people in here who are just like that ash tree. Maybe your life used to be flourishing. Maybe there are still areas that are flourishing. And you look at those areas and you're like, ah, still okay. But you know, there are other areas that have started to die off. There are areas that are spreading. The worst part is, you're the one who's responsible for it. You have no one else to blame but you, and you know it. But it feels like sin is under your skin. What scripture says first is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture says that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And it may not be all of your life immediately. It starts small. One area begins to die. And other areas may still be flourishing, but one area started to die. Maybe you look real good at school, but at home, your relationship with your spouse relationship with your parents has started to die. And then it's spreading. It's taking other areas too. The end thereof is death. Scripture tells us that there is one hope in Jesus Christ. And that if we confess him as Lord of our life, if we believe in our hearts, that he will save us.